what I was thinking, and I was actually reading an article about virtual reality, but one of the probably biggest cures for this is being able to somehow experience the other person's experience for yourself. I think that's the really biggest thing that changes people is, you know, the old walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. But I think in terms of finding solutions, you know, that will work with everybody, I think it's got to be much more oriented in that direction so that that's what gives you common ground. It doesn't have to be an identical experience, but something that, you know, like we're in this group, we can relate to each other for a certain reason, you know, so it's, you know, coming to that common understanding of whether it be microaggression or, you know, why some people are rich and some people are poor and that's not always a good thing by having that, finding ways to have the common experience. I guess that's the real thing. And I think that's why, you know, media and all those things that seem annoying also might one day also be the salvation if you can, you know, have a simulation of what it likes is like to be, to be the first African American person going to a school or things like that. All speaking English, but we bring a lot of different understandings to the language. And we've been using the word power. And I think there's a lot of different dynamics to power, a lot of different manifestations of power. And, you know, there's the power to destroy, to, like, make war. There's a power to how much resources you have materially, you know, like money, and how that gives you maybe agency to do things, go places that a person that doesn't have so much and there's also spiritual power or even spiritual rank. And I think there's a lot of ways consciously and unconsciously we know what the rank is in any room we walk into. And we kind of process that and we act accordingly or we act rebelliously depending upon how we feel about the rank and the power that's present. Thank you. What every one of you shared and um, um, is uh, uh, just really um, appreciated in terms of opening the conversation up. And let me tell you what we thought of, and you can decide what you would like to do. If you would like to continue the kind of conversation we're just starting or if you would like to move into looking at the different expressions of privilege and where you're located in those and the different places where you're targeted. And we could do an exercise together of each person taking some time to look at where they're privileged and targeted and then coming together and talking about that across privilege and targeting. So each person, so before I, so we would break, we would break into, um, we would break into dyads and explore both those locations and then come into 
uh, come into either the large room or small, I think the large room, and talk about the different ways that we feel blinded by privilege and unclear about it, the different experiences we have in our target location, and how understanding both places can help us to begin to bridge what what you're both, actually, what all three of you have been speaking to. So that's, that's, that's the, uh, what we had thought about, is to go to this and then come back and have a discussion after each one of us have looked at those different places. And we'll talk a little bit more about each of a, a little bit more about each of these places. So, what do you think? What where where would you like to go there? Would you like to stay in the large um, this large room and just do some more sharing back and forth? Yeah. I like the having a structure. Oh. I like the second idea of having a structure underneath the conversation. Uh, let's hear some more voices. I would just, whatever we do, I, I would at some point um, appreciate um, you addressing the concerns that Nicole raised because I feel there's uh, quite a bit to be, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's been expressed enough times by people that I, I really feel it needs more discussion. I apologize. I wasn't here yesterday. Um, for this is, I've, I feel like I missed out on some parts of the conversation in your visit. So I just was um, wondering, sort of like, what it's the overall goal for today um, and our conversation, as well as sort of like the your overall visit. Is it just to sort of make things more visible in people's minds, or is it for some more concrete movement? You know, in terms of like the way that the center is functioning. I'm not sure. So, Well, I, there are other people that can um, add to this, but I think the idea of inviting Arena here was not so much one person giving, you know, asking her to be responsible for fixing the center, or, but just uh, uh, this idea that, you know, <laughs> we know that we don't know how to fix it, and yet we have a deepening sense that we're suffering and we're part of the causes for suffering. Um, and how to keep that conversation and that unraveling, that opening up, how to keep that process happening and how to sort of intuit what kind of medicine, what kind of people we can bring in, what kind of conversations we can have. And I think Arena is even asking that right now in terms of the process of this group, what kind of process, how can we spend our afternoon together to keep opening up? And I think one of the things I'm finding and other leaders here are finding, like just in terms of intuiting what works and what doesn't work is uh, when we're feeling something that's not so, and it's not different than Dharma practice, it is Dharma practice, when we're feeling something that maybe we'd rather not see and feel, 
that's a useful sign, you know, like in terms of opening up, in my case, the experience of privilege. And, uh, oh yeah, that, oh yeah, that's a little hard to see. That's, I don't really want to see that or feel that. And that, that's a good sign. So I think in terms of addressing Arena's question, like how to spend our time, I, I'd like to hear from folks, and I think Arena and Mesky would like to hear too. It's like, how can we do it where we feel safe enough, but whatever it is, it's not about fixing the organization, but just doing what we can do in three hours in this, the time that we have with our expertise that we have or our skilled leaders that we have. Who's next? Let's give it to, I, Timmy hasn't said anything, so let's give it to Timmy. Thank you. Thank you. Um, first, I vote for the dyad and then break up. That's my two cents. And then also going back to Shannon's question. Um, so there's an advisory group at the center for on issues of diversity and how to make the center more inclusive. And for the last... Can you put the mic a little closer? Sure. Um, and... Um, uh, I'm fortunate to be able to serve on that, and many of us in this room are as well. And um, the uh, so her visit is in many ways like um, just the 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 ripening of the karmic fruit that's already been sowed before this advisory group even like this the inclusivity circle. Many even before my two years here at Common Ground, this work has been like slowly, slowly building. And I think uh, in within my two years here, I've really seen how. Uh, how the community is attempting to uh, meet the needs of the moment uh, in our nation and in our community here in Minneapolis. And so what do we see in society? What do we see when we turn on the TV? Well, this is coming front and center. America um, is having to deal with these issues, and a lot of the innocence of America is being shattered in many ways. And this is just, um, uh, like Mark said, our best attempt at trying to, uh, to to get outside expertise to help us uh, figure out the most skillful ways to move forward, knowing that it gets messy and uncomfortable. Um, so that would be my response. So um, about two years ago, the Unraveling Privilege Group recommended that uh, we bring Arena here, uh, knowing that us white people are the problem in a lot of ways. And so yesterday's workshop was a workshop just to help white folk understand privilege at a deeper level. So you didn't miss out anything. I heard that in your question. Like, I feel like I... <laughs> yeah. Cool. And, and we invited... <laughs> and I could have uh, maybe give a more thorough introduction. Uh, we invited Arena because she's been a Dharma teacher for a long time and because she does this work. She spent her life um, understanding what it's like to uh, really trying to understand identity and um, and has just and does this professionally as well as in Dharma centers. So, yeah. Actually, just in Dharma centers. Oh, just in Dharma just centers now. Um, I can can I. Oh, Mesky, do you want to say something? Oh, I This is just real quick. I benefited yesterday from the small to large um, and went home with just a, a shock of realizing, oh my gosh, I totally reali- missed 
the fact that uh, the that sexism wasn't the issue. It was this was a black person that you know. I mean, and I saw it as as um, female, and so it just shocked me. And I thought the format might be really might have been a lot of that. Okay. I'm going to make a facilitator's call. Ask Lewis to say something. You had your hand up originally, Lewis, and then. Um, Take a, a moment. Um, I think what I'm... I've been a part of the conversation for a while, and for me, the real challenge is how do we become a community here? And, you know, I think some number of us have come from authentic communities where people really work together, had this strong sense of connection that at times can even move to a very intuitive place where we just know each other and live together in a way where we're uh, providing the soil that allows everybody to thrive and grow without exception. So how do we build community across all of these imagined and real differences? How do we talk and communicate across all of that. Thank you. Okay. Can I just say something? Yes, thank you. Um, What I like about doing this is that even though some of us have done it quite a lot, there's something about inquiring into our own experience over and over again when we are in the privileged location that helps to bring to the surface over and over again the unconscious dynamics that we have been educated to. And in that awareness, we have the opportunity to disengage from some of that conditioning through our awareness practice, through the love, that allows us to build more authentic relationships across our differences. So by naming what the obstacles are and by creating a safe space um, through some of the ways we're learning to create a safe space, hopefully we'll be able to uh, build enough comfort through understanding that we come to the place that you so beautifully named for us. That's some of the ways that I've been part of building that type of community you're looking at. So each of us looks at the place where we're privileged, where we because we're privileged, we're not able to build authentic relationships. And then also to acknowledge again and again the places where we have been um, invisible, where we have experienced microaggressions, where we've been invalidated, and to allow that pain, which is also an obstacle to building relationships. So that's in acknowledging that and how we all share both, both experiences, 
it feels like we're building a common language that we can then come together and share and do it just like practice, just like meditating over and over again. Let me just say one other thing from my own personal experience around healing. When I was younger and in my more um, uh, days of Marxism and thinking of thinking about overthrowing the structure of capitalism and neo-colonialism, I felt a tremendous confidence. And then as we tried to do some of that work together, I felt so deeply disheartened. And then I came to a spiritual practice and I found some tools to help me hold my own pain and to help grow my love. I don't know about you, but my own experience is that I work with the legacy of abuse and privilege and how deeply rooted they are in my psychic being. I don't think that this is easy. I don't think healing is easy. And it might be for some people, like someone mentioned Eckhart Tolle, who was in tremendous amount of suffering, but then opened fully, and his suffering ended. I think there are rare people who have that kind of opening and access. But I think for most of us, we live in the legacy of those energies and the pain of those legacies. And when I think of my trajectory being 65 years old, as someone who should be in a different place, it becomes profoundly disheartening. When I think of my efforts and my patience, my imperfection and failures in the face of my good intentions, and I'm able to hold that, I find a grace to continue the work. So I don't think the manifestation, the, I don't think just in the way you're acknowledging that it's easy, but I don't think we have an option. As soon as we recognize there's the choice to do this work that brought us here, that there's something that calls us back over and over again to do the work of both, of both dynamics. And 
just to end by saying that um, I've forgotten what his name is. Um, Galliano, in one of his books, Eduardo Galliano, from um, uh, Chile. Is he, from, is he from Chile? Do you know Eduardo Galliano? Huh? Uruguay. Uruguay. Beautiful poet and activist. He quoted someone who became the Minister of Education in El Salvador after the revolution there. And the minister said, I have been a failure as a minister of education because we set a goal to end illiteracy and we haven't. And I've been a failure of education because we set the goal to end sexism and I haven't. And I've been a failure in education because we wanted to go out into the country and I haven't. But I see my failures as my successes. And I love that because... There was that spirit of saying, I'm continuing no matter what I find, that I'm called to meet that with all the understanding and grace and love that I have. And sometimes it's not very much, but that I know that's my work and that it isn't just on an individual level, but it's on an interpersonal, structural, and cultural level as well. So I okay, I won so I wondered, having said that, if you are all up for moving into diets, but before we do, we'll just talk a little bit and I'm hoping that some of you who were here yesterday can help brainstorm a little bit with us what these two positions look like, what privilege and targeting looks like. So, can someone, can someone um, talk about the experience of being a man and the privilege that they have experienced as a, as a, as a man, the gender, the gender of being a man, thanks. One way, this, <laughs> one way this shows up for me um, is um, by um, n- rarely, if ever, having to think about my physical safety in doing things like walking from my car to whatever building I'm going to in a parking lot or walking at night by myself or, um, yeah, um, yeah, that's a, a big way for me. Thank you. Can someone be, would someone be willing to talk about their experience of being a woman and the, some of the targeting of that? Thanks. I, I find myself trying to lower my voice. I need a male voice to be heard. And when I listen to conversations, sometimes I pay attention just to the tenor and hear how few times a female voice um, gets heard versus a male voice. So I, I speak only to the voice. Great, thank you. So that's like a, a just a, it gives us a taste of, well, what's my experience of privilege? What's my experience of being targeted? Let's have one more. Let's have one more um, 
sharing. For someone between 21 and 45 years, can you talk about the privilege of being in that age range? No, let's have someone who hasn't spoken. Okay. I guess not thinking about uh, how my body will respond or not respond and being very, I mean, not even thinking about illness or <laughs> uh, being comfortable playing all kinds of sports and things like that. I don't know. Great. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Someone younger or older than that age range? Thank you. That, well, just wait for the mic. This is, this is kind of actually just the opposite, but I notice myself, my prejudice against people my age and uh, older. Let, let's can, you stay, let, can you stay with being in the target location? Being in the target, okay. Um, well, I think that... I, I think that... People my age are often considered ignorant and failing of, you know, like kind of stupid. Great. Thank you. Lovely. Okay, that's exactly right. Let's do... That's exactly right. Let's talk about religious oppression. Someone who was brought up as a Christian could talk about that privileged location. (laughs) Uh, while listening to large portions of the media or really any politician who goes up on a pulpit and and speaks to anybody there, there's always Christian references, and I have an idea of what they're talking about, and it doesn't alienate me. Great. Thank you. Lovely. Someone who is um, Islam, Jewish, pagan would like to speak of being in the target. Well, what's not included there is Mormon, which I was raised Mormon, and up until about five years ago, it was legal to murder Mormons in the state of Illinois. So it's an interesting duality because it is both a point of privilege because it is Christianity, but it is raised with a complete sense of otherness and separate from the traditional Christian communities and yet seen by other groups as being just a cult. Great. Great. Thank you. Okay. Should we do one more? Someone who's straight, heterosexual. Someone who hasn't spoken. Someone. Good. Yeah. I can go places and hold hands with my partner, and no one. There's no problem. No problem. Just do it. Like it's very normal. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Someone who is LGBTQI or asexual? So, um, in terms of media, cinema in particular, television, pretty much almost never see characters that are represented. Um, And if they are, they either die or, you know, get fixed or, you know, there's always something it's, you know, they're there to like pull your heartstring or to make fun of, whatever. Thank you. Thank you. So that's just naming a little bit of the different dynamics, what 
we would like to do is invite you to find someone that you don't know, preferably, and to take, how much time should be given? So to take 15 minutes and to split that in half and for um, each of you to take three minutes to talk about your, let's make it 20 minutes, to do 10 minutes each, where you take five minutes to talk about your privileged location and, um, and, the, and the target location. So that's, um, so that's 10 minutes each. Five minutes to talk about your target location, five minutes to talk about your privileged location. The, the, of the diet, one person will be talking. The witness person, the person who's witnessing, will say, tell me about your experience in your target location. And they'll say, okay, um, as a, as a non-conforming gender or as a person of color, this is my experience. And then your witness person, when you finish talking, will say, tell me about your experience of being a person of color until your five minutes is up. And then you'll switch. So you can start with the target and then you'll switch to the privilege and you'll say the same thing. And, it is really helpful not to go into a narrative. Like, well, I remember, you know, on my birthday, this and this and this happened. But more to come into your body as you ask the question to feel. Like, how does it feel right now? How does it feel right now as I open up to my privilege? Where do I... Do I feel something in my body? Do I not feel anything? Can I say that? Like, when you ask me about my privilege, I feel totally shut down. I feel like I don't have access to anything. And can you hold that? Just allow that. And then maybe after that moment of silence, you hear the question again. Tell me about your location as a white person. And you're like, I feel my head is shut down now. I can't even find any words for it. And hold that. And see, because we don't want it just to stay on a narrative level because we have narrated these this stuff so much. See if you are willing, just as much as you're comfortable, to drop down and stay with the actual process of your experience and let your process lead you rather than the thought. Does any question? Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. You got it. Yeah. Any other questions? So turn to someone who you don't know, and find a place that you will feel comfortable with, outside, in the kitchen, downstairs, and we'll... Can one of you take responsibility to time it? So you have to time your time. We'll ring the bell. So 20 minutes from now. Maybe a half hour to talk about 
what came forward? Maybe not, we may not have time for every person to share, but um, what was the learning of this exercise for most of you? I was noticing how uh, talking about the the targeting aspect and the the places where I've been targeted, my my mind wanted to go to. I mean, there were there were few of them, right? That I that came up immediately, but the ones that came up immediately were like more dramatic ones um, where I felt excluded or felt that that uh, I walked into a space and I felt immediate suspicion of me, right? Um, but I just noticed, like, it struck me how, like, those were very immediate things that came to mind because they were so rare and because they so often weren't the case for me to walk into a space and feel suspicion um, of me uh, or to, to be totally dismissed and ignored in a space. Um, it was just interesting how, like, my... The, the target point, although it was painful, it pointed out how much of the rest of the time I was privileged in that same area. Others? I found it very helpful to be reminded to come back to where I was feeling it in my body. Um, I feel like I read about and think about and talk about these things a fair amount and I can run down a list of all these things but I don't necessarily slow down and feel the feeling part of it as much that was very helpful thank you I thought you had your hands up or no Um, I wasn't, I apologize, I wasn't very articulate to my partner, but what I noticed was a very strong, energetic, visceral, physical response, which I don't fully understand, but um, really makes me curious. I really appreciate the introduction of the word normalizing to the conversation because it gave me so much more um, entree into the anger and the confusion that I feel because um, somebody decided what the rules are and what we have words for and what we don't have words for. Um, and so I, uh, when I was feeling, as I am feeling right now, uh, a kind of a confused resentment or a defensiveness, um, I get. I know where it came from. <laughs> I don't feel quite so uh, ready to shoulder that blame. So, if we also share the location of what the sharing was, say, you know, you shared being a straight person, whatever it was. So, I think it would give a context for most people. I, in my case, I was um, it, it, when I was sharing the way in which I'm privileged, I chose wealth. Um, not that I've got a whole bunch of it, but I have a pension and Social Security, and my house is paid for. And uh, I notice sometimes that I 
subtract myself from a conversation where it starts getting into um, the difficulties of day-to-day living. Uh, I'm not there. Uh. I was with uh, Rachel and I don't know if I'm going to get this right or not. But my experience of this was not my oppression in my life has mostly come from not fitting into a nice, neat box. I'm like, you know, in terms of race, sex, class, nationality, whatever, I'm just messy. And it's hard to be, hard to show up as me and communicate in a system like this in an authentic way. Um, yeah? Okay, so if I just focus on race, uh, scientifically, I'm supposed to be 75% African and 25% European but I ended up with a very fair complexion. And in the 50s, in mainstream school on the south side of Chicago, kids with fair complexions got breaks that darker-skinned kids didn't, and I could still feel the pain of my friends who got passed over. So... But that's also brought me to a place where nobody can tell me white skin privilege doesn't exist because, hey, I know it firsthand. So there's other examples where uh, I think it's brought me to a place of realizing if, if I've been, if the oppression has also somehow brought a understanding or a benefit my job is to be a bridge, translator. And yeah, it hurts like hell sometimes. But, you know, the practice has been this thing of, okay, when these pains come up, trust that I'm going to get to the other side of it if I just let go or let it go. <laughs> That's been such an immediate experience for me over the past 10 years. So I keep trusting and I keep coming back. Even though we've all shown up in these strange bodies that give us pain or privilege. Um, well, I hesitated to say this because my um, where I feel the pain of being a target doesn't fit any of the categories very much, except for age mainly. Um, oh, and being a woman, yes. Um, but I, I almost think that there should be... I mean, some of those categories are like the pain... I mean, the targeting is so immense, that it doesn't really compare. But I can relate to, 
I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't even say this. But just like lack of social skills or, you know, being left out because of personality or something like that, there's a, there's a level of it that, that fits but then doesn't fit because it's not part of a big group except for big group. I mean, there's a lot of people like that. So I wonder, can I ask permission to ask you a question? Sure. Is okay? Well, how is it about being a woman? I mean, that's a... That's a as a woman, they're very clear um, yeah. communications around um, uh, the whole structure of our culture is that yeah. women take second place in so many ways, yeah. are given second-class status. Yeah. So how's that been for you as a woman? Oof. Well... Um, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't, it's really hard to answer it in front of everybody like this, uh, to get that vulnerable, I, I don't know. Um, all right. I guess um, I feel jealous of men where they just seem to be able to move easily and have everybody listen to them and um, have an authority that it's very uh, much more difficult to be able to step into that. I, yeah, I see what you mean. It's it's bigger. It's bigger. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was talking about my privilege, and um, one of the things I think um, is that my sense of entitlement um, that I deserve to have a job that fits my needs well and that my commitment to self-care um, and utilizing being in a state of self-care to care for others is tantamount. And when I walk into a full-time nursing care facility as a hospice person, only there for one client or two I'm sort of in the world, but I'm not of the world, and I'm not being beaten to death with the number of clients I have to see. Um, and I make sure when I my schedule is made that there is time between clients for meditation and Tai Chi every time. And so I always come in with pretty much full heart. And I'm in places where cruelty arises because the people working there are being treated cruelly and they're getting cruel wages and the people that are being cared for are in cruel situations. And so I guess my 
my entitlement, what I see is that I feel like I deserve to show up here and not be beaten to death. And so I say no to certain things and I don't, I don't, I don't accept certain jobs and I wouldn't accept certain jobs. And I guess that breaks my heart that I feel like somehow I have a, a certain kind of mindful, uh, awareness that allows me to flower in ways that people can't around me all the time. And so how I try to give back is to say, well, let's make this single moment be the most caring moment of, of a day. And, and, and that I try to exercise my heart so that the person that's uh, under the gun with 11 people to care for and can't really do it anymore gets kind of a break and not judgment from me. And that the, the client who has really bad sores on their butt and nobody can care for it often enough that it can happen. And it can happen in a way that is not so taxing for somebody else, even if I need somebody else's help because it's a two-person assist. And that everybody gets treated like we're all full human beings on the same path. And so that comes out of entitlement. Like my wisdom and my caring is... um I see it as a, as a, I don't even know how it happened, but whatever it was that allowed me to, to be educated enough to heal myself, that feels to me like the biggest, um, the biggest privilege I have is, is the healing. Hi, I talked um, about my privilege, and I really didn't feel like I had any, and that more or less it occurred if I was in a group of black people, and knowing that being light-skinned and talking like a white person gave me an advantage, and getting jobs and getting paid more money, um, and realizing that's what made white people more comfortable. And so I always felt very sad about people that we're not able to do that because of culture or whatever reason, and that they were judged by that as an, a mark of intelligence. So whenever I'm at work and I hear people are saying things about gay people or women, I just let them know it's not okay. Just because I'm not in that group, that doesn't mean that's okay. And I'm very clear. And I think... Um, it's just, and that's how I can kind of like educate people because people were saying, you know, I've always been the only one in any work situation. And they would say, why don't you talk like JJ or why don't you? It was just like so many misconceptions about how black people should behave at work that were so foreign to me and that we're just really all trying to work really hard and do the best that we can. And so just kind of like, you know, letting, I'm just like, you know, everybody else. I have the same fears and all that kind of thing. And just letting people know that's, that's what it's like. It's the only thing that makes different is, is how I'm treated is different. So. Um, the, my privilege I talked about was being white, but also I think in the areas where we feel, or where I feel privilege there, um, as you, I 
trying to say. As you become more and more aware of the issues, and I've surrounded myself with a diverse group of people in my life, and um, but it's still um, this fear that you're going to offend, and um, you know. And I've um, like I I liked what I don't remember your name when you talked about um, walking someone else's shoes, and I've thought about that so much, but it's like. I, you can't really do that. I mean, it's, it's, you can, you know, I mean, I've tried to learn as much as I can, but, you know, it's like, no, it's a whole life of experience. It's generations. It's, and, um, that's one of the things I'd like to learn. How, how, how do I, I just hate that idea of feeling like I'm, that something I did would offend somebody. Um, yeah, I guess that's. I don't feel like I'm expressing it quite right, but just a really short thing. I think the way a lot of us get educated is to like really be afraid about being wrong. Like you always got to be right. And we oppress ourselves with that too, with the idea that there's something like perfection. And it's just an, another idea. Um, I'm so glad that you came next to me. Cause I, <laughs> I felt uh, to say something, um, to you personally and just to, in general. So, about offending, right? I think we, you know, I first of all found this, um, thanks to Arena, she kept me like, stay as a target as a woman, because I'm like, I feel privileged as a woman half the time. So it just like reverses, uh, depending on the day. Um, But (laughs) fear, you know, if I'm always afraid that I may offend, or if I'm always afraid that I may be a target today, it's just there is no way of moving forward. So I just get messy all the time. I get messy here. Um, I can talk about my experiences as a person of color, and I may know some things, but it may end up being offensive sometimes, you know, just for other people. So I don't know if there is any other way to move forward but through, you know, just through it and... But I'm also not invested about being right. Like, I cannot be right. It's not possible. It really isn't. I may be able to, but I'm willing to learn. Um, I just, I, I read an article that says, um, why white people freak out about racism. And that was just so beautiful. It, it talks a lot about uh, how we confuse as a society being good and bad and about racism. Like, I have black friends, so I'm a good person. But it is so, in so many layers. And Arena, you haven't really, uh, gone over the personal, the structural, cultural, all that. So, um, I just want to ask if there is one more thing that if, if there is anyone about this, just the learning that there is an urge, one or two people to share, 
and I like us to uh, explore with the twenty whatever minutes we have. With the twenty-two minutes we have, what we want to take from this experience today? Did it move us in a way? We want to commit to looking at this, whether personally or more, you know, just something that came for you guys, for, you know, me included, how we want to continue this work, what came about. That's kind of how we want to close the circle today. Okay. We're all... Uh, we're all here, I think, with Buddhist ideas and the idea of the Buddha. I'm listening to everybody, and I'm looking at those charts up there. I wonder if this is what Buddha meant when he said about the ego. I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm white, I'm black. But 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 that those are all part of your ego. It's not really you, the center self. So I will, I'm thinking that might be the ultimate way: uh, meditation, mindfulness, being in the present, and you see all these things are artificial things. That's not you. Person. That, that's that's how I see it. Okay. I'd like to respond to that if I might, because it feels so important to address the the complexity of what um, you've invited us to, because. It's true that the ways, the negative ways women have been defined is not true. And yet, as a woman, I am asking from all of you who are men to be allies in co-creating a culture where women are seen in their beauty in their own unique ways. Because when we just talk about dismantling ego without looking at the structural work that needs to happen to create an environment in which the uniqueness of each of us in our diversity needs support to express we're missing and jumping over something incredibly important. So it feels like a both end. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, let's bring some other voices in. Yeah. I didn't have any specific expectations when I came, and uh, 
it's been a really unique experience. But one thing that, at least for me, that makes this important is that having some tangible stuff that can make a difference is really important to me. You know, and I think about this, you know, just in general in the world and, and trying to address racism and address poverty and all the, the sins is that I'm recognizing that, you know, the academic understanding is great, but, you know, at some point I gotta like hit the road and try to actually make an actual difference. And, I'm not sure what can come out of this today, but, you know, if there's things like that, even just ideas that we can all take back to our communities or wherever we are and consider doing do something that you can try or experiment with, that would be very meaningful to me. We have the slants for you. What about from any of us in our target locations asking one thing directly and personally from the community? One thing you would like to see happen. So I would like to just continue what I said. As a woman, I would so appreciate it to those of you who are men when there's a question in the room or when there's a group discussion, you hold back from being the first person that answers. And wait, because women take a little longer, wait to see if a woman steps forward. And that if there have been a number of men, one after the other, you step back and wait for a woman to come forward. I want to acknowledge there's also the intersectionality around race, so I want to hold that as well, so that it's not, it's both you as men, and then as an ally, I would like to ask those of us who are white, when there is a question, that we are careful that it's not always white people being the first to answer. So that's my two requests as a target person and as a privileged person. I have a request. It's more about the community and going forward, and that's from my targeted area. Um, I would request that we work to include more movement and voice, more sense, sensual kinds of things in our 
groups uh, practice um, learning? Okay, okay. Um, from my privileged uh, position, I would like to, um, first of all, thank everybody who helped this come about because I've learned something that I've been trying to learn and that is how I don't know how it is to feel in someone else's shoes as much as I thought that I did and just, I guess, to, to always let me know if I hurt, say, ouch, uh, to, so that I can feel, or so, because I'm going to try to feel more like I can make mistakes, say the wrong thing around race, because I don't know very much. So from the target position of being older, my request is that whatever age you are, you don't say to a person who looks, quote, young for their age, oh, you don't look, you know, whether you're 70 or you don't look 50 or whatever, because actually that person is going to look old someday, and they know it. <laughs> and it's a form of, uh, it's really a form of just the fear of age. So just give that some thought. We think it's a compliment, but behind it is an incredible fear of age, um, which doesn't go unnoticed. Um, it's a minor thing, but it just strikes me sometimes. Um, as a privileged person, I would like our community to intentionally form a scholarship committee um, for retreats to give full full scholarships um, at, or just to deal more intentionally within our own community about building up um, scholarships for retreats. I think this is a real problem for a number of people in our community. So this would be from a, a class, uh, white, white privilege plus class um, position. Maybe this is a little bit out of place, and if it is, you, you can tell me. Uh, it seems to it seems to me when that when a person is lying on his deathbed, then he sees all these things. How he wasted his life with all of this, and then you, you come to terms with yourself. From the target group of being a person of color, particularly a man, particularly a black man, I would ask that 
members, the people in this room, members of this community, view the people of color in the world around them with the same love, light, um, and, and beauty that they attempt to see people within this circle, like within these walls. I say that because when I experience microaggressions outside of this room, they're from people who in other situations are well-meaning white people who have their own spiritual communities, many of which who do this same work. But in that moment, I'm not someone who sits in the room with them and doing the same work. I'm just a potential threat. So the people in this room, my request is, can you treat the next person you see tonight bagging your groceries who may look like me or who's a lawyer who may look like me or who you don't know what that person does who may look like me, can you treat them with the same love, dignity, and respect that you treat me with within these walls? And as a man, I would ask that that the women in my world continue to continue to hold hold high standards for me as a man. That is, um, sometimes I feel like the societal uh, societal um, narrative around men is that you know women are irrational, and men are stupid. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't buy into that. And I, I just, I would ask that as a society that if I'm, as a man, if I'm doing something that's, that's uh, where I have a blind spot on my male privilege that in love and directly, you tell me that and let me know that um, this is something that I can look at. Yeah. Um. As a privileged person, I would like to ask that as a community, we keep this work going and that we don't see it as sort of a side conversation, that it's completely integral and central to developing the wisdom of the heart and compassion. It's not separate. <laughs> and as a target person who is afraid to speak, um, I would ask that we give each other permission to speak fiercely and with friendliness. Um, as a person of color, and not only as a person of color, but as a co-facilitator of the people of color group, I like, I would like to request that we uh, put out a statement, a welcome statement soon. Like, I don't want us 
I don't want this to take us another year because that's really the frustration I hear from um, many folks. You keep saying we are progressing as a community. All these conversations are coming. We can't even put out a one-sentence statement, and I really don't have an answer for that. So I would like to volunteer if needed, but i like us to be able to put a statement and not talk about it like for two years. That's really what I want. Um, because I hear it and I really don't have an answer. I'm like, if we just came up to that, we could do it. I mean, I think I could do that. Um, so I would volunteer myself for that. But I like us to, if we have agreed to put it out, I like us to put it out. Like, whenever. Next week. This week. Uh, and again, as a person of color, I would ask... So I've been coming to this community for five years, and like I said, my target location keeps changing all the time. Um, and Al, to your point, my, you know, the Buddhist teaching, why it appeals to me is that it is all about shading ego and dropping all these identities to be able to really connect to the mystery of just being alive However, as beautiful as that is, that's not practical. I'm just put out as a woman, as a person of color. As soon as you see me, I'm just in this box or in a box that, as Lewis was talking about, in a box that, you know, you can't even fit me in. It's like, what are you? Where are you from? What, what What's happening? So, so it's both things. It's nice to have an aspiration, but there is real life in your face. Um, so... Uh, as Sammy was saying, I just just a, a smaller one of the things that I feel in the world as a person of color is invisible. Even though I'm loud, I can defend myself and I could do whatever I want. It's not always uh, a victim identity, but nonetheless, it is the experience. I feel invisible, um, and. And I, you know, maybe that's something personal that I need to work on, but that is probably an experience that doesn't come out for the majority, you know, as a person that if that is not your target location, you know, if you are an able-bodied, we don't think about disability. It, it I would talk for myself. I wouldn't. I, if I am not, if I'm straight, the last thing I think about is just, you know, being gay and what all that burden is. So I like us to keep in mind all the burdens that we don't have to carry in mind. In mind that when in the community, when we see a person of color, we just make an effort to say hi. A person of disability or a white person, whatever that is, but we just say hi and I don't think they, I saw a sign uh, that says uh, a smile is like, it's free. You don't have to pay for it. So I really like us to just be a community, just really be engaged, be there and acknowledged, acknowledge somebody just as a human being. So I, you know, that which would make somebody feel visible. Um, and I will make the same commitment. I 
would want to say hi, even if I feel invisible. So if no, there's no one else that would like to speak, particularly anyone who hasn't spoken yet. Okay, excellent, absolutely. Um, so my request is that um, to some, in some way, what you said kind of helped me figure out the words to this is to, in this space, um, seek refuge from the not seeing, and to. Center into myself as I try to see other, meaning not me, and to center. So my request is for the, to do that for me and for others to help me center when I am not, and to forgive me when I'm not, so that the seeing can come from a place that is not these frames, but from a being place. And that this might be a place to practice that. <laughs> so I missed the majority of this and I came in and I was all like, no one's going to speak, I'm going to speak. And then I kind of laughed to myself and was like, oh shit, you don't really know much. So probably shouldn't speak. And then I've been afraid since. So now I'm speaking at the end. Um, I think to address both, if I understand it, the thing that I observe is everyone is, seems to be in such a rush to get off their mat when, like, the Dhamma teaching is done. I don't understand that. I think that, like, the conversations that we got to have in the dyads did a good job of being able to demonstrate how when we speak to each other, we get to move beyond... <laughs> The veil, or whatever you want to call it, the stories that we create around who other people are. Um, I know that I don't have a clue who the majority of you are. I know that I like you, uh, but I don't really know you. I don't even know your name. <laughs> However, I, I think that like the meditation doesn't end at the end. You know, it never ends. And sit in, sit on your cushion and talk to your neighbor and enjoy their company and get to know people and thus community grows. Um, yep. Okay, so the other big request that I have, it's coming from my target um, spot, <clears throat> is, uh, and this will sound as it sounds, so I would love if the white people in this, and the white people in America, the white people in this world, especially in America, could learn to let go of white shame. Like if, if white people could learn to work through process, whatever, it is, but let go of white shame to, cause I feel like shame is the lowest calibrating energy, like whatever, there's different people that suggest it, but 
shame, I don't think, does any good for anybody. I think recognizing where things have gone wrong, where as a society, culturally, systemically, white privilege absolutely exists, all this stuff needs to happen. But what I find that as a society, and especially when the white people in these types of rooms who take their Saturday, Sunday afternoons to like do this work, if the allies get stuck in shame, then there's no continuation of the process because when I get in, stuck in shame, I can't do anything. So if the, if the people in this room are stuck in shame, mired in it, and unable to work through what's in front of them, then as a people, this process comes to a halt. And then we talked about identity, dropping it, holding whatever it is. We are born into the bodies that we're born into, the positions that we're born into, the Buddha teaches, that we are born into the bodies, positions we're born into. These are karmic events. And so not seeing this is like some, it's not a mistake that I'm in this body. And I don't have to get rid of it or drop, but this body is the gateway through into my liberation. And so as a white person with privilege, like I have male privilege and I love being a man. And I recognize that that privilege, with that privilege comes responsibility to serve and to make this world a more balanced and just place. So in the same way with white people, like, I would ask that you would, I would ask that there'd be some way to, to, to let go of the shame. And, and I understand that white people have a lot to, I can understand shame. I'd feel pretty bad about things if I were a white person. Like, there's a lot in the media today to make you feel, and society and history. I get all that. And let me, last thing I'll say is that guilt, recognizing where something has gone wrong, is different than shame, making a, uh, making a wholesale value judgment on the totality of a person. And so recognizing where something can be changed versus I'm a bad human are two separate things. And the shame doesn't help change, doesn't bring Mike Brown back. But recognizing that you have power and privilege, now from this position, you can make something positive happen. Thank you. So... First of all, I want to say thank you for showing up, for being engaged, and just uh, the depths of all the sharing, and for common ground, for walking the walk and making this afternoon happen, for Mark and Wim, um, for sponsoring this event, in addition to common ground. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I like us to sit for a minute and let go of the words, but continue the work in our heart. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.